You know, I'm way off track here. Well, I'm a little off. I just, I don't know, I just don't feel like myself. Man, every day feels like Groundhog's Day. I don't feel right, but I don't know quite what I need. The Dalai Lama said, If you feel burnout setting in, if you feel demoralized and exhausted, it is best, for the sake of everyone, to withdraw and restore yourself. Welcome to the Vanessa Londino Podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Londino. This week's topic is about how to play the long game, okay? The point of self-care. You hear me say this a lot, that life is hard and the road is long. These are truths, okay? Life is hard. Life requires so much of us, doesn't it? From childhood to early adulthood to mature adulthood, there are so many choices that we have to make in life. And they require wisdom, and they require clarity at times, and life itself, I think, requires endurance. And that's just necessary to live life. When we talk about making a life we can be proud of, a life that leaves a legacy, a life that makes an impact, there's a lot required. Life is hard. Even just living life, preserving life, staying alive, working, feeding ourselves, preserving our physical health. It's work. All of life is work. And the road is long, right? For most of us, that's decades of living, decades of breathing and decision-making and guiding and choosing our path and sort of forming the experience we have of our own lives. And sometimes I think the days fly by and then other times they drag on forever, you know? And we find life to be filled with exhilarating moments, but very often life is mundane. (laughs) It's repetitive. Uh, It can even be boring. And the tolerance of boredom is something that human beings don't do very well. Some of us crave more adventure. We want variety. Uh, Others of us are very content with a stable, repetitive, predictable life. But at the end of the day, we all have to do this thing called life, right? It's a mixed bag. So with that in mind, the fact that life is hard and the road is long, the exhilaration of it, and also the exhaustion of living life, therapists have for many years been in the process and sort of called to help people do that well. And that very often means that we have to learn how to do that well so that we're not filled with hypocrisy and lies, but we're all on it together. And what I've been working with in clients since I started therapy, but certainly as of late, coming out of COVID, coming out of isolation, coming out of just this constant gripping fear of our physical health or losing our physical health, rather, we've been coming out of a period of time of really intense separation from one another. We've been forced to live in our own minds. We've been forced to live with our own families and not see other families. But of course, the world is sort of easing up. Those restrictions are almost all gone, all, all the way around the world, I think, I think except China. And self-care is now in order. We all need to take a breath here and ask ourselves, how did I do during the pandemic and how am I doing coming out of it? Where is my level of self-care now? Because the amount of time it takes and the amount of effort and energy that it takes to properly care for ourselves cannot be overstated. Your energy, your energy stores, both physically, psychologically, I'm going to include emotionally, mentally, spiritually, your equilibrium, 
All of this has been disturbed by the last couple of years. All of it. We've gotten into messes in our intimate relationships over the last couple of years and much growth has occurred, right? Some of us are stronger, we're more focused. We've taken the time to sort of correct some things in our lives that weren't quite true to who we are. But I wanted to take a moment in this podcast this week to just focus on self-care. Let's take a breath, let's check in, and let's make sure that what we're doing for ourselves, what we're calling self-care, really is self-care. Because as a therapist, I would venture to say that most of therapy could be summed up as two processes, learning how to love yourself and learning how to care for yourself. And somehow, throughout life, upbringing, childhood, trauma, hardship, we didn't learn how to do both. We didn't learn how to love ourselves well, and that could have been through trauma, abuse, it could have just been through families where that wasn't really taught, it wasn't emphasized explicitly. And we, don't, we didn't learn how to care for ourselves. Maybe we didn't learn how to care for ourselves emotionally. We were taught to be people pleasers. We were taught to be caregivers without any respect for ourselves. We weren't taught about diet and nutrition. We weren't taught about psychological self-care. So somehow or another, if we're in stress as adults and we don't know what to do about it, it's because there's either a lack of love or a lack of self-care. And I hate to be overly simplistic about this stuff, but sometimes I feel like that helps. That's actually what's going on. We don't love ourselves and we don't care for ourselves. So that's a lot of what therapy is. So today we're going to talk about self-care. I'm going to make the case for self-care. We're going to distinguish between self-care and selfishness big, big difference between self-care and selfishness. And we're going to distinguish between self-care and self-indulgence. Okay, let's dive in. You know I like to start with definitions, right? I don't like to have conversations unless I know what we're talking about. So let's give ourselves here a definition of self-care, okay? For our purposes today, we're going to define self-care as the processes you engage in to do two things, to return to yourself, meaning to reconnect with yourself, and to restore yourself. Okay, that's what self-care is. It's connection to the self or reconnection to the self and the restoration of the self, okay? So first, let's talk about how to return to ourselves, how to connect with ourselves. Well, what disconnects us from ourselves? Okay, I'm forming the basis here that we need self-care. Life itself is going to disconnect us from ourselves. Various ways. The busyness of life can take over. And friends, this is normal. Nobody lives a perfectly balanced (laughs) work life, beautifully balanced life all the time. Life itself requires moving in a direction and then self-correcting and then learning and not making that mistake again and then making the mistake again and learning again. Like that is life, okay? That is the process of living and being alive and being a conscious human being, okay? And hopefully over time we learn, we grow, we amass and access information about ourselves so that we don't make the same mistakes over and over and over again. But to say that we're going to live in such a way to have some sort of idealized version of ourselves or we could live in some sort of perfect balance all the time, I mean, monks in monasteries don't even do that. That's not possible, okay? So we're going to get disconnected from ourselves. That's a fact. And the busyness of life can do that. What happens? It means we're not making choices based on who we are. We're not making choices based on our goals our dreams, our values, even our true intentions about our lives. We're making choices about what life requires, which could be outside of those things, or what other people expect of us. 
which could be outside of those things. For example, I'm living the dream, I've got a business, I'm loving my life, my job, da 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 da, and I get hit with a disease. Okay, that's a disconnection from all of that path that I was on, right? And the work of life would be to stay connected to myself in that. And that would be tragic, but it happens, right? This is the main reason we separate from ourselves. We get pulled away from one way or another from our goals, dreams, intentions, and values. Could be a life situation, but very often it's people. It's people. We start living to please other people. We start living to keep up with other people. So that's one way that we disconnect from the self, okay? We sort of get off our own path. Another is, and this is sort of a more entrenched way that we disconnect from ourselves, we're living from the traumatized self. So let me explain that. Whenever we undergo trauma, and that could be any kind of trauma, and I'm pretty much talking about childhood trauma here. Uh, Abuse is trauma. Any kind of abuse is trauma for the child. Um, Could be the loss of a parent. Could be a catastrophic event. All of these things create trauma, meaning the situation in life is larger than what we can handle. That's what trauma is. Okay, we don't have the resources to reach out and grasp to deal with the situation of life. So what happens? That traumatized self creates all these walls called coping mechanisms. And the purpose of those coping mechanisms is to protect the self, okay? The self, that true authentic self doesn't wanna go through that trauma again. So we create all of these coping mechanisms that serve as barriers of protection around the self, okay? Now, over time, especially if it's childhood trauma, over time, those layers of protection become our identity. That actually becomes who we think we are. We are the traumatized self and all the layers of protection. Now, we don't think of it that way. This is all subconscious. We don't think of ourselves as, well, I'm, I'm a traumatized self with layers of self-protective coping mechanisms. <laughs> That's not how we see ourselves. We just see ourselves as whatever our personality became to survive the trauma. So now we are now identifying with the coping mechanisms. That's the traumatized self. Well, what happens when you reach adulthood? You start creating an entire adult life, relationships, career, decisions, where you live, what you do, everything. Every decision becomes about the false self that is the product of the coping mechanisms that is the product of the traumatized self. Does that make sense? That will disconnect you, obviously, from who you really are. Because who you really are was the person who was traumatized. Notice all the layers between who you are and how you're living. You know, a lot of times in therapy, what I'm working with on clients is once they start to really deal with the trauma, their lives stop making sense to them. Why? Because all of the decisions they were making to build the life they currently have were based on those coping mechanisms so that they could avoid the pain of the trauma again. It's not who they really are. So it's not uncommon for me to have adults in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s looking at their life and going, this is not the life I wanted. That's a tough place to be, but it's not unworkable. It's not unworkable. That is life. It's okay. We can work through that. And it doesn't mean you have to completely upend your life and divorce and move and, you know, quit your job. It does not mean that. It means that slowly, lovingly, we come to the authentic self and we learn to integrate our life with the authentic self. The path is there, but... Since we're talking about disconnection, if you are living from the traumatized self, your life is not built on who you really are. It's built on who you had to become to avoid the trauma. 
So maybe your traumatized self is terrified of intimate relationships because you were wounded in intimacy. Happens all the time. So as an adult, you really struggle to maintain relationships. Maybe people don't like you. Maybe you have an overly aggressive personality style. Maybe you're combative. That's just one example. And you've built your life around, well, I have to protect myself. This is a perfect example of living from the traumatized self. Now everyone is a threat. Everyone is a threat. And your whole life is built around that traumatized self. Or the traumatized self says, look, if I don't give people what they want, I get in a lot of trouble. So the whole life system that you've developed is around people pleasing. See, that disconnects us from the self. So what are the coping mechanisms that we use? Very often it's lying. We lie. And it's a major coping mechanism. Why? Because when we were being traumatized, the truth would have gotten us punished dismissed, misunderstood, we would have been in trouble for what was going on in our lives. It just wouldn't have gone well one way or another. So we learn to lie about who we are and who we want. This is a huge disconnection from the self. People pleasing is just an extension of that kind of deception. We're literally deceiving people into thinking that who you want me to be is who I am, right? So whatever we did to cope with the trauma we endured becomes a habit And those habituated ways of living and coping become a lifestyle, and that becomes our life. And if that life is entirely or strongly based on coping with trauma and not based on who we really are, life is eventually, we will eventually get to the point where we are very unsatisfied and disconnected in our own lives. Okay, what else disconnects us from who we are? Trendy ideologies. You know, we're living in a world where we get information in lightning speed. You know, if somebody has a thought in Germany, you hear about it in an hour. (laughs) It's just so fast, right? Used to be that we were very surrounded by our own communities. We were very surrounded by, frankly, like-minded people and people who spoke the same language, you know, culturally speaking, not necessarily the same tongue. But we were surrounded by somewhat like-minded people. There were disparities. But nowadays, we are flooded with information and opinions from across the world. And these ideologies can separate us from ourselves. It's the ideas of the day, right? The loudest voices on social media, the most influential influencers on social media could be the fabulous sounding things that other people are doing and thinking. And we think to ourselves, well, you know, I just have to do that. I have to be part of that. And it's not because it's resonating with who we are. It's because it's based on popularity, We want to go with the current thing, whatever the thing is. So we have internal pressure. And that internal pressure is FOMO, good old FOMO, fear of missing out, right? And it's the fear of rejection. Well, if I don't go along with this or accept this or say that I accept this or convince myself of this or join this group, whatever it is, I'm going to be alone and without friends. Well, that's terrifying. Nobody wants to have no community. And then we feel external pressure. And that comes in the form of suggestions or even coercion. I mean, friends, we're living in a day nowadays where you can't disagree with people. One of my favorite quotes is by Richard Feynman. And it goes like this. I would rather have questions that can't be answered than answers that can't be questioned. And I have never before in my life, at the ripe old age of 44, I'm still a little spring chicken. (laughs) I've never seen a time in life where we're just surrounded by answers that can't be questioned. I mean, you will literally get fired for asking questions. I just read a news article about this the other day that somebody who worked in data, data, the data analysis was his job at Reuters. 
And he brought some statistical evidence that a story that they were running with was actually not true. Statistically, by the data, it was not true. And he was fired. That is insane. So when I talk about trendy ideologies that are placing pressure on us to comply, it's very real. And you can easily be ousted or face some pretty serious consequences like the loss of your job, the loss of relationships, the loss of family, if you don't get in line. And this pressure, this fear is so problematic for our mental health. You know, we're watching, we're all seeing this. We're living in a society where our relationships splinter and disintegrate because there is no room for disagreement. People are literally ending relationships because they feel that their intellectual position is so morally superior and correct that they can't even be in relationship with people who disagree. What does this create in us? Fear. That's it. We either acquiesce with the current thing, whatever the thing is, or we silently oppose it because we're afraid to raise our voice. This is hugely problematic for our mental and emotional systems. We're making social relational decisions out of fear. We've got constant adrenaline and norepinephrine and cortisol coursing through our veins. We're just terrified. And we're internally thinking, and I know this because I counsel people who tell me these things. Sometimes we're internally thinking, I don't really agree with this, but I can't say anything. Or, and this is even more dangerous, we're actually becoming convinced of things that at one point we disagreed with because we just need to follow the status quo. We're too afraid to not fit in. So we've got social media pressure and social media is setting the standards. They're setting the trends. And that we've got internal pressure that we're putting on ourselves to fit in, to do the thing, to get with the thing, to follow the current thing. And all of this pressure, the pressure we place on ourselves and the pressure we feel externally results in behaviors that are not true to who we are. And we become disconnected with ourselves. So self-care. Self-care is how you reconnect to yourself. How do we do it? The first, and I would say the most powerful way to reconnect with yourself is to spend time alone without social media and learn how to listen and hear your own internal voice. I can't stress how important this is, friends. Time alone with Instagram is not time alone. Time alone with TikTok is not time alone. There's a reason they call these people who are very popular on social media. There's a reason why they call them influencers. They are influencing you. You need to hear your own voice. Sometimes we need to stop all media, period. Hard stop. Take a break. Stop reading the news. Stop looking at your social media accounts. And I trust me, okay? I have to say this. The world is going to be just as awful and just as beautiful when you return to it. <laughs> it will, right? It's going to keep spinning on its axis, number one. And number two, it's just going to be just as terrible and just as wonderful as it was when you decided to take a break. That's just the way of the world, okay? You need to hear your own voice. You know, years ago, I took a trip up to a monastery and I spent a week in silence. And I got there on a Monday and I left on a Friday. And it, well, five days, okay? Full silence. 
I talked to no one for five days. And I thought to myself, oh, this is going to be so restful. I'm going to have peace. I brought up some schoolwork. I was in graduate school and I brought up schoolwork thinking I was going to do schoolwork and books I wanted to read and all this stuff. Let me tell you something. When I got alone with myself, the internal voices in me were so loud. I have never had insomnia like that before in my life. I came toe to toe and face to face with my internal self and it was not easy. How did I stick it out? I started listening, not with judgment, not with fear, just curiosity. What am I telling myself inside? What are these internal voices telling me? And I started writing them down and I started journaling. And then I tried to start journaling from a really loving place. But I had to be alone, without a phone, without technology, with nothing except the chanting of monks for five days. And at the end of five days, I could hear my own voice. So I want you to ask yourself, when do you feel most yourself? Where are you? What are you doing? When you feel most like yourself, where can you go where you can be quiet and alone without technology? Is it nature? Is it a museum? You may not be quiet and alone, but you could feel much like yourself. Maybe it's just your own backyard. Maybe you need to go for a drive. Gardening reading, writing, what is it? When do you feel most like yourself? Self-care is the choice to do that. Okay, what's the other way? You can reconnect with yourself. Spend time with people with whom you do not need to perform. What does that mean? It means you are safe to agree or disagree with them. Yes, those relationships do exist. There are people who are so confident and so ego-centered, meaning their ego is well-centered within themselves. They don't have to control other people to maintain their ego. They're aware, they're awake, they're mature. You can agree with them and you can disagree with them and it does not result in a loss of respect or the loss of the relationship. Okay, that's someone with whom you don't need to perform. You are safe to share parts of yourself that they probably would not identify with. But they love you, so they're interested in you. These are people who hear you when you're in pain. Okay, you're not required to be strong. You're not required to be knowledgeable. You're not required to be on top of it, figuring it out. You're allowed to be weak. You're allowed to not know. You're allowed to ask questions that maybe other people thought you knew the answers to. You're not required to be like them. This is huge. These are relationships where this person does not need you to be like them. They need you to be you. You are encouraged to be yourself. This is the healthiest relationship. Why? Because the egos are in check. When I look at you, I don't need to see a reflection of myself. I need and want to see you. What a beautiful relationship. So what is self-care? Self-care is the choice to do that thing, to make that phone call, to spend time with that person, to be alone. That's the action. It's intentional. It's not always easy. Self-care is not always easy, but it is that choice which reconnects us to the self, not who we're supposed to be, not the you you have to be to remain in conditional relationships. It's taking the time to be yourself. That's self-care. That's how we use self-care to return to ourselves. 
Okay, so that's reconnecting to the self. Identifying when we disconnect from the self and then doing that thing that reconnects us to the true self. Self-care is also the act of restoring yourself. Okay, so what do we mean? I mean, restoring your energy, restoring your vitality. Why? Because we get depleted. And what depletes us? Many things. Let's talk through them. This is, again, we're making the case for self-care. Exhaustion. Now, part of exhaustion is just normal life. Okay, this is a pretty normal aspect of life. We have to work and exert effort to do almost everything in our waking hours. Okay, we have to get out of bed. We have to prepare for the day. We have to mentally, physically get through the day. We have to work. We have to drive. We have to walk. We have to choose. We have to execute. There's lots of stuff that goes on in a day that is taxing on our energy, right? And then eventually we run out of steam. On the days when we get exhausted, there is more to do than we were planning. There's more to do than the energy we had, right? So we get exhausted when those energy supplies run low and then go into the negative. Now, we all have stores of energy. We all have reserves. We can all kind of pull it out of somewhere like, oh, God, I'm exhausted. It's five o'clock, though. There's so much more to do. We can kind of keep going. But when that becomes a pattern, we get depleted. Eventually, we need our energy stores restored. Okay, that's what it means. We have energy stores. We need them restored. What else depletes us? Being false. We can only keep up the act for so long, friends. Falseness is exhausting and depleting. Think about how much energy it takes to be in a lying situation in life. It takes a tremendous amount of energy. And I know this because I used to lie a lot. I was a liar. I grew up a liar. I was constantly telling stories so that people would like me. I would try and impress people. This went on until like my 20s. And truthfully, I mean, I had to kind of go through a pretty intense period of time where I would tell tell people in my life, like, I just lied to you. That was not true. This is the truth. And it was humbling beyond belief. But I wanted to be honest. And I'm not going to get into it, but I was raised in a household where people lie. There were a lot of lies in my household. Some of them were based on being impressive. Some of them were based on covering your tracks. But everybody lied. And it wasn't healthy. And I just grew up lying to survive. I lied a lot to get out of trouble. I was beaten and I didn't want to be beaten. So I would lie about what I did. I would lie about where I was. I was living a double life. I lied about that. I mean, I lied and lied and lied. Lying is exhausting because you're not connected to your true self and you have to maintain the image. We have to keep the illusion going. We have to cover our tracks. We have to silence our consciences. This is exhausting. It's depleting. Think about what an introvert feels like at a big party. We're performing. We have to kind of show up and like, Put the effort out there. Lots of energy to keep going and going. Another way that we're false is by trying to keep up with the Joneses. You know, we're putting forth the energy to match whoever is leading in the pack terms, whether that's the latest fashion or the latest gadget or the latest, you know, again, the latest ideology. It's false. It's not us. It's not who we are. But we're just trying to keep up with the trends. This takes a lot of energy. It's depleting. Hard times deplete us. These are highly emotional situations. Lots of stress could be crisis, lots of challenges, and they're consistent and they're not letting up. That's hard times. So we have to stay engaged with these situations. Maybe it's a long-term illness in ourselves and someone we love, someone we care for, or just chronic situations like a really challenging job or, you know, whatever it is, but we choose to stay engaged because we have to. 
Sometimes we choose to stay engaged in other people's hard times because we care about them and we're walking with them through their own hard time. That is also depleting. We only have so much energy. We've got our own life with all of those needs. Then we've got someone we really love and care for and all of their needs. It's a lot. Okay, some of us, and you know who you are, I know who you are, come on, let's be honest, some of us get engaged in other people's dramas. We're not helping them, we're not even like engaged in a helpful way, we're just, we love the drama. We love staying on the inside of some gossipy, dramatic situation with other people. But whatever it is, it's depleting us. Why? Because all of that takes energy. Some of us are depleted by talking. We're constantly socializing. We can't stop being with people. If we're not talking or engaged with other people from sunup to sundown and then until midnight, we're just anxious. You know, we're like the anxious extrovert. If I'm not around people, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know how to be alone. Okay? It is exhausting and depleting to constantly be talking to people. Certain personality types are very depleting. Again, these are personality types. We're, we're spending time with these people. We're engaged with them. We're spending energy being in these relationships, but they're not terribly balanced, right? So sometimes it's high, high energy people. You know those people. They just never calm down. They're always on. They're always going. They're always intense. They have to be the center of attention or they have to be the center of their own world. Like there's just so much energy constantly being expended around them and in them and in their own life. That's depleting for us. Or low energy people, kind of depressive. I'm not saying anything negative about depression. Depression is a legitimate, difficult life situation that should be cared for with compassion and care. But we all know also what it's like to be in close relationship with someone who has very, very little motivation. They can't be lifted out of their funk. And if we don't know how to be with depressed people, we're constantly, you know, engaging and trying to lift them up. And by the way, that is not what you do with depressed people. But even if we're just allowing them to be in their depression, but we're with them in it, that's also depleting. That's hard. Sometimes we're around really needy people. They're always asking for input. They're asking for something. Like they don't really have a lot of that self-assurance. They're needy. They're dependent on us. That can be depleting for us if we keep trying to say yes and we don't say no. Sometimes we're around overly aggressive, opinionated people and we're around them a lot. You know, I refer back to that poem I read on this podcast a while ago, Desiderata. There's a line in Desiderata that says, avoid loud and aggressive persons. They are vexations to the spirit. (laughs) They are. And I've also been an aggressive, opinionated person for sure. But I think I'm mellowing out the older I get. Um, But it's vexing, right? It's just, it's depleting. It's, it takes a lot of energy to be around these people. It takes a lot of energy to be around people who are very self-centered. No matter what you say, no matter what you talk about, somehow it becomes about them. Like they haven't quite validated their own pain. So whatever you tell them eventually becomes about them and they have to make it about themselves to get validation. Sometimes it's depleting being around people who are without a lot of depth, right? Their lives are quite shallow They have trouble being in the presence of pain or suffering. They either want to fix it or they make jokes or lighten the mood or you're too intense, right? That's depleting because if we're in a really authentic place of our own pain or our own depth, 
we have to do the work to kind of lighten it up or dumb it down or try to be around people who can't quite be with us in our depth. That's depleting. All of these personality types, first of all, we all have all of these people in us, right? This isn't a criticism of anybody, but it's just, you know what I'm saying? When you're around certain people who have a depleting personality style, if we don't have good boundaries, we get depleted. What else depletes us? Exercise. And I'm a big fan of exercise and I exercise several times a week, but if we overdo it, exercise should be, it should be tiring, you know, it's exercise, but it should not necessarily be depleting. Like we're falling asleep, exhausted, that's overdoing it. So exercise can be depleting. We get depleted when we have too many activities. We're overscheduled. We go from thing to thing. Every day is booked. Every night is booked. We're constantly going. That's depleting. Our food may be depleting us. But Vanessa, doesn't food nourish you? Not all food. Okay? Sugars, empty carbs, which turn into sugar, they deplete our energy stores by throwing our blood sugar into disarray. So we get that initial boost and we get this from alcohol. We get this from sweets. We get this from refined sugars in foods, from white foods, you know, rice, too much pasta, just carbs, carbs, carbs. We get that initial spike of energy and then we drop and we collapse. That's depleting because it sets us in a cycle where we need sugar and we're desperately hungry and we're starving. We're starving. That tells us we are consuming too much sugar. When you go into those cycles in your health where you're starving and then you have to eat and then you eat and you're satisfied and then you're hungry again, there's too much sugar in your diet. That has been my experience and that has been my understanding from, of course, I'm not a nutritionist, but from what I've read and what I've studied, this is a depleting way to live. Also, sugar is a drug and I am qualified to talk about this. Sugar is mood altering, habit forming and creates withdrawals when we stop taking it. That makes it a drug, friends. And if we're addicted to sugar, we're going to get depleted. We get depleted when we eat too much food, more than we need. Your body needs a certain number of calories in a day to do everything it needs to do. And if we eat too much food, the body depletes itself trying to digest. All the systems of the body are taxed. The musculoskeletal system, the digestive system, everything is taxed because it has to work that much harder to process foods we don't really need. Or too little food. And I'm maybe talking about eating disorders here, but I'm also talking about those of us that are just kind of a little bit neglectful about the way we eat. We're not eating enough. Of course that's depleting because our body doesn't have the calories that it needs to complete the tasks of the day. We don't have the energy. Dehydration can be depleting. How simple is that? We literally become depleted, sluggish, tired, brain fog because we're not drinking enough water. Clutter, disorganization can be depleting. Why? Because we have to work harder to do simple things. When we're disorganized and cluttered, think about how much time you spend trying to find things. Think about how much time and energy you spend sifting through things. How do you feel when you walk into a well-organized room and how do you feel when you walk into chaos? It's depleting. Sleep disturbances are, of course, depleting. Insomnia, staying up too late, not giving yourself the proper amount of sleep, some of us would live a different life if we would just go to bed earlier, right? Saying yes too often is depleting. Whoever needs us or wants us gets us. We just say yes. This is totally unrealistic and ultimately will deplete us. Procrastination is depleting. 
Think about that. Procrastination is like lying. It's like the energy that it takes to keep all of that up is so exhausting. So let's talk about procrastination. You have to keep in mind not only all of the things that you're not getting done, but the rationalizations you're giving yourself for why you're not doing them. Then you have to choose other things to do instead of doing the things that need to be done. And then you mentally have to tell yourself and convince yourself that it's okay that you're doing this thing instead of the things you need to be doing. That's a lot of energy versus the energy it would take to just do the thing. So we're just depleting ourselves by procrastinating, okay? So there's the case for self-care when it comes to just life, the depletion of life, the depletion of energy. All of these things deplete us. Some of these things we choose, some of these things we don't choose. It's just life. Life is tiring. It can deplete us. So self-care is essential because the needs of life are ongoing. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and have no needs. People around you, your families, you love your spouses, your kids, all the needs that exist around you at work, they're not going anywhere. So what happens when you get depleted? You need self-care. Self-care is how you restore your energy stores. Okay, so some self-care is daily, just daily work. You got to do it every single day. What am I talking about? Nutrition, exercise, sleep, hydration. Okay, these are Basic physical, we'll talk about emotional and mental daily self-care, but physical daily exercises of self-care. Diet and nutrition. We know all this, but this is self-care. This is it. Eating whole foods, a nutrient-rich, energy-filling diet. Some of us need to work with a nutritionist. I did. I mean, she's one of the guests on this podcast. It was the first interview I did. I think it's called That Gut Feeling with Liz Sanfilippo. Liz got my gut squared away. She helped me figure out what I needed. You know, one of the things I learned from working with Liz really early on, I was used to a very low carb diet. I just had gotten into fitness and had learned to, you know, get into more fat burning than carb burning. One of the things I figured out with Liz for gut health and just for my energy in general is I cannot do a low carb diet. I couldn't do it for years. I was exhausted and depleted and probably moody because I wasn't getting enough carbohydrates. I mean, I was eating a ton of vegetables, but I needed like potatoes, rice, quinoa. Like I actually needed carbs and that became my balanced diet. And now I know I can't go through a day without having something like that in my diet for my gut health and for the way my brain processes, my thoughts, my brain power was really suffering with such a low-carb diet. So part of self-care is learning your body. You have to learn what foods energize you, what foods deplete you. Because not all foods are created equal in equal systems. Some foods that work for some people do not work for other people. I know some people who can live on a ketogenic diet and they do great. I am not that person. That is not how my body wants to run. So I learned. I had to rethink it. Okay, I'm putting quinoa, rice, and potatoes back in my diet after probably 15 years of not having them in my diet. So self-care is a process of learning the body and knowing what your body needs. Let's talk about exercise, okay? Some of you know this. I used to be a personal trainer, so I'm not certified anymore, but You know, I remember what I remember. Here's all I'm going to say about exercise. Let it be consistent and build slowly. Okay? Consistency is either 
you don't have to exercise every single day, you know, to the point of exhaustion and sweating, but you should move every day, take a walk. Now, a few days a week, I weight train a few days a week. I do cardiovascular exercise, but I'm pretty much moving in some way every single day. Also, my work is so sedentary. I'm sitting in a chair all day long. So if I don't move, I just become stiff as a board. Okay, so consistency is important. Again, this is daily self-care. You don't need to go bench press your house. You don't need to do 100 push-ups, but you do need to move through your environment. You need to go for a walk. That bilateral stimulation is so good for us. Build slowly. No matter what you do, whether it's weight training, cardiovascular training like running, cycling, whether it's yoga, walking, hiking, whatever you're doing for exercise, okay? Build slowly. Rushing or pushing increases the risk of injury and you will associate negative emotions with exercise because you're exhausting yourself unnecessarily. You are having an unpleasant experience. Exercise should be work, but it should be pleasant. At the end of it, you should kind of feel like, oh, okay, I feel good. Yeah, I'm tired. My body's tired. It's been worked. But I'm not like in pain and sweating and bent over, doubled, like, you know, doubled over, gasping for air. That's too much. Build slowly. Just let your body build naturally. Naturally, you're going to get more fit. Do a little bit more at a time. Allow yourself to grow naturally into greater levels of fitness. Now let's talk about this because this is the third and forgotten leg of fitness. So in fitness, we have muscular strength, cardiovascular endurance, and flexibility. How many of us stretch? How many of us stretch? I don't. I'm putting myself out there. I am so guilty of doing a full workout and not stretching one muscle. Friends, this is so bad for me. (laughs) It's so bad for me and it's bad for us. We have to be flexible. A flexible body is a flexible mind is a flexible soul. Flexibility is an element and the third leg of fitness. So I'm sort of reminding myself here as I'm reminding you, we have to stretch. Sometimes we need massage. We need that deeper tissue work. That's part of consistent self-care. Certainly not daily. I don't know if we need a daily massage. That'd be nice but consistent. Okay. Sleep. I'm not going to get into sleep disturbances related to mental health issues like anxiety and depression, because that will take us too far down a road. But I am going to say this. Some of us are intentionally on purpose, staying up too late or sleeping in too late. Okay. We need a consistent bedtime and a consistent waking time. We need a rhythm. That's self-care where sleep is concerned and you need a comfortable sleep environment. Get your cell phone out of your bedroom. And I have been guilty of this. I am guilty of this right now. I sleep better and I wake up better when my cell phone is charging in another room. How about you? Do you stay on your phone too late? Now, I thankfully don't have a problem falling asleep and typically I don't have a problem waking up. But for those of you who are staying up late, you can't fall asleep, but you're on screens. Friends, the blue light is keeping you awake. We know this, right? Put down your phone, get it out of your bedroom. If you have trouble falling asleep or waking up, get that device out of your bedroom and read a book. You'll be asleep in no time. (laughs) All right. It's not as easy as that. I know that, but that's all I'll say about it today. Hydration. Drink more water. Stay hydrated. Again, this is just restoring our energy. Sometimes it's as simple as I need to drink more water. Journaling. Engaging in self-reflection. 
What does that mean? It means taking the time to hear your own voice and recording it with thoughts, feelings on a page. Okay, that's daily or it could be consistent. Okay, these are consistent acts of self-care. One of the most important aspects that is a consistent act of self-care is maintaining authentic relationships. You need for your support system. Everybody's got a slew of relationships. Okay, what does that mean? means we've got people in our inner circle and then we've got like friends that we trust and we hang out with but they're not our first phone call people and then we've got people in the acquaintance circle and then we've got people that maybe we don't even like but they're still connected to us in some way and they can be family members they can be friends of friends they can be all kinds of people peers co-workers that kind of thing When you think about the people that you pull in closest to you, meaning the people that know your heart, they know your struggles, make sure that those relationships are really healthy. And what does that mean? It means that you don't entrust yourself. This is going to sound really obvious, but you don't entrust yourself to people you do not trust. And if you find that you entrust yourself, meaning you open up and share yourself with people you do not genuinely trust, you have been in exploitative, abusive, or traumatizing relationships. What that is, is a trauma bond. That means we're used to opening up to and trusting people that we didn't really trust, so we keep doing that in adulthood. But to practice self-care, we actually have to be in relationship with people we truly, authentically, in our hearts and souls, trust. Okay? Now we have to maintain those relationships, relationship maintenance, means we connect with people, we make phone calls, we text, we respond to texts, we stay in touch. And this is the harder part. It means we have to resolve issues and conflicts, tough talks. You got to do it. A really close friend of mine who listens to this podcast listened to an episode and had an issue with one thing I talked about. And she sent me a text and said, we need to talk and we need to get dinner. And I know her well enough. I kind of knew what the issue was. I thought, okay, she heard my podcast and heard that I said such and such. She brought it out in the open. We talked through it. I have a ton of respect for her. So I was able to hear her out and I really took in what she said. And I think she heard my rationale for why I said things the way I did. And we had a lovely dinner. And she said to me over dinner, she said, you know, I almost shelved this. I almost just said to myself, oh, don't worry about it. But I didn't. I really wanted to sit down and talk to you about this. And I said, I'm so glad you didn't shelve it. I'm so glad You took the time to keep the slate clean. Just keep it clean. You have to have a clean slate philosophy in your closest relationships. You're not going to be able to do that with everybody. Some relationships, but again, they're not in our inner circle, but some relationships, you just kind of have to accept people for who they are. Like, you know, this is not worth talking about. I'm not going to put the time and the effort and the energy into this. But for those people that I rely on and trust, I need to keep that slate clean. Two days ago, I had a clean slate conversation with one of my best buddies. Something that she did a while ago rubbed me the wrong way, and we hadn't had a chance to connect on it. And to be honest, I was kind of pushing it aside. I didn't know how I wanted to address it. Then we finally got on the phone together, and I said, look, I need to bring something up with you. And we talked about it. It took about five minutes, and it was fine. Okay, keep those relationships clean. Now, that's daily consistency, maintaining ourselves kind of self-care. Then there's crisis self-care, and that's different. Yes, you want to keep your nutrition, if possible, exercise, definitely hydration. Keep those things going. Sleep gets harder when you're in crisis. But when you're in crisis or hardship, okay, 
Self-care looks a little bit different. It means you need to get away from the situation for periods of time. And that may seem terrifying. Like Vanessa, I can't leave this situation. I can't get away. Friends, if you get away, you're going to return to it with more energy to give it. You're going to return to it with some perspective. You need to get away, reset your system, take a breath, and then go back to it with a clearer mind and more energy. You do need solitude in crisis. Whether you use that for prayer, meditation, walking, just sitting in stillness, listening to the ocean waves, whatever you need to do, we need solitude, we need support. So self-care looks like the same thing, it's just more condensed, okay? Make sure, if you're in crisis, this is part of self-care, make sure your support system knows that they are your support system. Meaning have a conversation with them saying, this is what I'm going through and I need you to be this for me please let me know if you're on board. Sometimes we don't even need to have that conversation with people who are just so close to us. But sometimes we do. Sometimes we need to say consciously, I need this from you. Can I rely on you for this? Okay. All right. Common mistakes that we make in self-care. Confusing self-care with selfishness and confusing self-care with self-indulgence. Okay. Self-care versus selfishness. Now this gets tricky. Because both involve choosing the self over the needs of others. And both might result in other people getting angry at us. They might feel forgotten or abandoned or neglected by us. Okay, that happens in self-care and in selfishness. But what's the difference? Okay, selfishness is engaging in self-serving actions without regarding or considering the needs or the preferences of others. That's what makes it selfishness. That's what makes selfishness selfishness. It's a lack of regard for how our behavior is impacting other people. We're just choosing ourselves to the detriment of other people. And we don't even think through that. It's like the willful neglect to consider other people. Self-care, conversely, is engaging in self-connecting or self-restoring actions that take into regard the needs of everyone in the social system and placing the needs of the self for the time being first. Why? Because we need to reconnect and restore so that we can come back to the system with more strength. That's the difference. Selfishness isn't concerned with that. Selfishness is not concerned with how I can meet the needs of whatever system I'm in. Selfishness is only concerned with my own needs being met. Self-care is concerned with all of the needs being met. Does that make sense? It's the conscious act of realizing if I'm depleted and disconnected from myself, I am of little to no use to anyone. I cannot love. I cannot serve, advise, or be present for anyone if I'm depleted and disconnected. The best me for this system is a me who is connected and energized. Okay, so that's the difference between self-care and selfishness. Self-care and self-indulgence. Not the same thing. Now, there's not anything inherently wrong with either. All of us need to engage in self-care, but we all have moments and acts of self-indulgence. I mean, that's just part of being a human being and sort of enjoying life and enjoying the things that are available to us on the earth. Okay? Remembering self-care is the act of reconnecting with yourself and restoring yourself back to sort of optimal energy levels. Self-indulgence is the act of doing exactly what you want, regardless of its purpose or its outcome, 
generally centered around pleasuring the senses. That's self-indulgence. Just giving yourself anything you want. Self-care is giving yourself what you need. Okay? So when we replace self-care with self-indulgence, we do this. It's generally because we want a feel-good quick fix instead of doing the work of reconnection and restoration within ourselves. We don't know ourselves. This is another reason we replace these. We don't know ourselves that well. We don't know what we need. We don't know what will restore us. We don't know what will reconnect us. So we kind of like reach for, you know, retail therapy (laughs) or an ice cream sundae. This is self-care. No, it's not. It is self-indulgence. Now, self-indulgence may be exactly what you want right then. That's fine. But at no point in life do you need that much sugar. (laughs) You don't. But again, like I said, inherently, there's nothing wrong with it. If self-indulgence becomes a pattern, that's problematic. But periods of self-indulgence, moments of self-indulgence, nothing wrong at all. But if we don't know ourselves, we mistake self-indulgence with self-care. Often in self-indulgence, we just want to spend money on ourselves, not the time. And that's really cheating ourselves. Really cheating ourselves. Because we throw money at a problem, but not thoughtfulness and effort. Remember that self-care is a process. It's not an outcome. The outcome of self-care is generally we feel more balanced, we're energized, and we're authentically ourselves. Okay, that's the outcome. But that's not, we can't get there without the process. Self-care is actually a series of actions. Balance, peace, energy is the outcome. But the actions release the outcome. So self-care is a process. We trust the process. We release the outcome. Do's and don'ts, and we'll wrap up here. Do not spend money on stuff, anything, and expect that to restore you or connect you to yourself. It's a quick fix. It's not self-care. You know what I'm talking about? We're spending money we either have or don't have on stuff we don't really need. We buy clothes, accessories, home goods, pampering. We buy toys, gadgets, vehicles, the latest thing, the the phone, the iPhone, whatever. We fill our lives with stuff. And then we wonder why we still feel empty. It's because we're not doing self-care. That is self-indulgence. Now, if you need a new pair of pants, go get a pair of pants. But if you have a closet with 30, 40, 300 pairs of pants. You don't need more pants. That's self-indulgence. As long as you consciously know the difference, you're going to be fine. But don't be surprised if you confuse self-care and self-indulgence if you wake up with a house full of stuff and you feel empty. Okay? Now, why do we not give ourselves these things when what we really need is self-care? Because what we're after is solid long-term benefit and growth. Quick fixes don't do that. That's like when you need a balanced meal and you give yourself a donut. You might feel better for a couple of minutes, but eventually you're going to feel terrible. Don't go for pampering experiences that don't do anything for you on a soul level. Now, I am not against pampering experiences. I think a facial is a wonderful thing. You want to get a manicure, a pedicure, a massage. If you're in a part of the world where you can enjoy those things, those are lovely. Sure, do that. But I'm going to talk in a minute about how to be present in that and let it be self-care. But if we're mindless... And we're just sort of, again, replacing self-care with a quick fix. It's not going to do it. Don't push yourself physically with exercise to the point of pain and injury. Friends, some of us need to hear this. We're going too hard. And we're wondering why our joints are aching and our bodies are breaking down. Part of physical fitness is rest. Your muscles need to rest in order to grow. Okay? Take it slow. Be steady. Let your body gain naturally. Don't 
zone out and watch mindless television for hours. Why? Vanessa, why isn't this self-care? Because we're coming out of COVID and I know a lot of us did this a lot. I did. It was a stressful time. I did not always engage in my best self-care during COVID. I think I watched The Tiger King. Did you? (laughs) All right, this is mindless television. Why is it not self-care? I just said it. Because it's mindless. Self-care is mindful. Numbing out is not self-care. Now, again, it's self-indulgence. It's pleasing to the senses. You're looking at something. You're hearing something that you're enjoying. So call it for what it is. It's self-indulgent. It's not self-care. Those are the don'ts. Let's talk about the do's. How to get the most out of a pampering process. Be present in it. Breathe. Feel every sensation you're having. Feel someone's fingers and hands on your skin, on your face, on your back. If you're getting a massage, a facial, whatever it is. Really be present. Feel. If someone is doing something that's making you uncomfortable, speak up. It will not be self-care if you reinforce your silence. I had to learn how to do this with massages. I was sexually abused as a kid and I would get massages and there were times where my body would just tense up and I would go into a trauma response. And what I needed to say to the massage therapist was, hey, can you change what you're doing right now or less pressure or more, whatever it was. And I wouldn't say anything because I was so conditioned to be quiet when I was being touched in a way I didn't like. Speak up. If you are having any kind of pampering service and something doesn't feel good, you have to speak up. Okay, try not to rush it. Give yourself the gift of calm. Don't overschedule yourself. Well, I'm going to run and pick up Sally and then I'm going to drop this off and then I'm going to fly and get a massage and then (laughs) that's not going to be restful. I mean, it might be for a couple of minutes, but try and give yourself some time around it. Be present. Give yourself some time. Be consistent with daily self-care. Be intentional with crisis self-care. And remember, and I'm on this road with you, self-care is a process of learning yourself. You have to learn what reconnects you to yourself and what restores you to yourself. Be patient in that process. It takes time. We're all still learning it. All right, let's pause there. The Dalai Lama's words. If you feel burnout setting in, if you feel demoralized, exhausted, it is best for the sake of everyone to withdraw and restore yourself. I think we understand that a little bit more, right? A depleted, disconnected me is a me who is going to do more harm than good. This is a me who is more likely to be reactive in any way, people-pleasing or aggressive, moody, unstable, and emotionally unavailable. Friends, self-care isn't optional. This is how we keep the fuel in our tanks for life. This is how we do it. We have to circle back to daily self-care, intentional self-care. All right. Thank you for listening today. For those of you listening who have contacted me about the toolbox, the book I just released, the toolbox is the tools we need to build relationships and restore them when they break or repair them when they break. It's now available for purchase on Amazon. A lot of you pre-ordered it and you were waiting for shipping. It's now shipping. So you can order this on Amazon. If you have Amazon Prime, it's going to get to you in just a couple days. The pre-purchase period is over. So you can still buy it on bookbaby.com. Just go to the bookshop link and put in my name, Vanessa Landino, and it'll come up. But you do the same thing on Amazon. If you go to Amazon or barnesandnoble.com, put my name, Vanessa Landino, in the search bar and the toolbox will pop up and you can order it and have it in your hands within days getting great feedback on it. So thank you for all of it who are reading it and giving me some feedback. 
Again, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for reviewing. Thank you for sharing this podcast. Today's podcast is good for anyone in your life who, these are the people who live in constant chaos. You know these people. They just go and they go and they go and everything is crazy and everything is a crisis. Share this with that person. Share this with someone who is disorganized. Share this with someone who gives and gives and gives and can never say no. Share this definitely with those people who are the martyrs in your life. You know, these people who are constantly giving everything they've got to everybody else. Share this with the martyrs. We all know them. We all love them. We've all been them. But it's time to stop doing that and get balanced through self-care. Share this with someone who's going through a really hard time and needs a reminder to step away and do the basics. This is really, really important to get through crisis. Or share this with someone you just love who needs to have a deeper understanding of why they should take care of themselves. Why? Because I love you. You should take care of yourself. Okay, remember, your sole work is to discover who you truly are and learn how to love that human being. Friends, self-care is the practical work of self-love. Till next time. This podcast was recorded in Nashville, Tennessee and edited by Jared Bentley. I'm Vanessa Londino and you just listened to the Vanessa Londino podcast.